Alumni Podcast. It's me, Bridget Hart, your host and uh, co-editor of, of Burning Eye Books. Um, it's August. How did it become August? I'm not even sure. Um, I don't know how this happened. I still think it's March in my head. Um, today, I'm joined by the wonderful Leanne Modern, who has uh, just released um, their new collection, Get Over Yourself, with us in July. Leanne, it's so nice to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. It's lovely to be here. We've um, had quite the journey with this, I think, with, with all of the books for this year. We've done this year entirely in lockdown. Um, and as many listeners will know, Burning Eye runs on um, providing books for touring artists and things like that. So it's been um, uh, a transformative publishing a schedule this year. Um, uh, and I remember accepting your book last year, Leanne, um, and we had our Burning Eye convention and we had all of you in the same room and, um, and that was a really lovely time, wasn't it? It was, it feels like a lifetime ago now, but it was only last year. That's really weird to hear that, but yeah, no, it was really nice to be in um, a room with so many like wonderful, talented poets. Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. And I think it was maybe one of the first things, the first things of that calibre that maybe a press has ever done before. And mm. Burning Eye, um, we publish so many people all around the country that a lot of the time it's very difficult to get around and meet everyone face to face. Um, so it was really great to have you all there together. Um, and I was chatting to Mary Dickens on the last podcast episode and we were saying how the convention made it feel real for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. No, I felt that too. Um, Burning Eye is um, an in incredible publisher and one that I've been following for a really long time. So having the chance to be in the same room as all these other brilliant poets and um, to chat to people and to hear people's stories of being published was, yeah, it did make it feel like it was real and actually happening. Yeah, that community feel I think was definitely there, which we are trying this year not to lose in terms of, you know, lockdown and, and people not being able to get out and do their gigs. Um, and one of the things that we're doing is um, doing these podcast episodes where we get to like have a bit more of a chat with you about, about the book and um, uh, your experience of writing it and all of those kinds of things. So let's just like launch in really. So get over yourself. I think I've seen you. I think I seen you do some of these poems from the book before I, I recognize them when reading through the collection again um, and I remember the first the first couple of times I saw you once was it way mad and then the second time was at milk poetry in Bristol and mm. I just remember thinking how funny you were in a very sort of dry way um, and I think your stage presence is, is one of the reasons why I was so interested in, in, in getting your work in print. I think you have a very um, unique stage presence and you hold the space really well. And I think that transfers um, again, really well into the, into the book, Get Over Yourself. Um, and I just wanted to, to sort of say, um, to sort of ask you really like um, what the process of putting the, this collection of poems together was like for you. Did you have all the poems already or was it something that you then had to like build in new stuff, new material into? 
Mm, it's, uh, thank you for saying that. That's really kind of you, by the way. Um, I Yeah, it's been a really interesting process for me because like a lot of people probably that you publish, uh, mostly I write for performance and I write for the stage. So um, I did have most of the poems already written, um, but they were in um, a state for um, being performed, being um, said aloud and heard perhaps once um, rather than being captured um, on the page for forever. Um, and while I don't think there's a huge separation between page and stage, certainly not um, as wide a separation as some poets would have you believe anyway. Um, I do think that there is something to be said for um, the editing process and for um, getting a feel for how something reads um, on paper versus how it feels um, when you're speaking it. So if you read the collection, um, you'll be aware that I'm, uh, quite, <laughs> I'm quite a big fan of repetition. Um, I love a good bit of repetition. Um, and I worked with a lovely editor called um, Anne Holloway um, from Big White Shed in Nottingham. Um, and she was really instrumental in sort of making me think about the intention um, of that repetition and whether even though those um, repeated lines work well, for a spoken piece perhaps they weren't necessary in in quite so many of the poems when they were on the page um, and that was really the first time that I started thinking about how um, poems can have different lives and different versions so I don't necessarily feel like the, the version that I would perform and the version that are in the book are um, like one is superior to the other i think it's i think it's about the the medium and and how you um change the poem so that the meaning remains the same but it suits where it's being placed if you see what i mean yeah absolutely i think at burning eye we look at it like you've got your live version and then you've got your album version mm, which I love have that. yeah which have the differences in there um and that's always really nice because you know that when you you see a performer and you see them work and then you read the poems on the page they do give you a, a different vibe um to to how it is but then it keeps that 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 performance of it special you know yeah. and it's like a unique thing that you're doing um and the poems in the book i think are so relatable on so many levels um i come from a small town working class background um in which you know a lot of my youth was spent trying to figure out who and what I was doing and and kissing people and getting junk and doing you know figuring out all those things and there's a lot of poems in that I find really relatable to to that experience um and I I know that you are a Nottingham-based poet yes um and we've published a couple of other people Andrew Graves from Nottingham um and I don't really know anything about the scene there um mm. So would you mind like just giving our listeners just a bit of a rundown about what the local scene is like for you and how that's helped you to develop uh, your your writing? Sure, definitely. So, um, yeah, my um, a lot of the poems in this collection are about um, where I grew up, which is rural Norfolk. So I'm, I'm, I'm based in Nottingham now, but I'm, I'm not from Nottingham originally. So when I moved to Nottingham in uh, 2015, 
um, I was uh, already writing, already um, performing and uh, moving to a new city um, where you don't know anybody is already quite daunting and then wanting to get involved in the writing scene there as well. Sometimes it can feel like um, you're sort of an outsider all over again but luckily for me Nottingham is probably the most welcoming, uh, friendly uh, city that I've ever, um, place that I've ever lived. So um, I got really involved quite early on with um, a collective called DIY Poets. Um, and they are a group of poets, all ages, all abilities, um, who come together, um, support each other, put on like um, really like grassroots open mics and gigs and um, yeah um, help each other with their writing and with their writing projects and I kind of sort of stumbled across them by doing that thing where you just put into google um, poetry spoken word and then the city um, and they were like the first one that popped up and I went along to their first meeting and uh, to my first meeting with them and uh, just instantly felt like I was at home and like everybody was so friendly and they started straight away going oh there's this open mic here that you can go to and it was just it felt like they they were just like oh here's somebody new that we can be friends with and that can you know add to the scene so yeah Nottingham's beautiful for that and um, there are lots of nights sort of popping up and um, coming around uh, at the moment there's some really lovely ones like Black Drop which is um, a uh, an open mic night that focuses primarily on people of colour um, and that's run by Michelle Mother Hubbard um, and there's also speech therapy, which is brilliant as well. Um, and that's run by Miggy Angel. Um, there's so many good nights and they, and they come and go, um, as you can imagine, with a town that's got like two universities and like so many different uh, people from all different backgrounds. But the nice thing about it is that everybody's really friendly and it doesn't feel cliquey at all, which I think is, um, for me, the thing that puts me off going to certain poetry nights, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I, I really like hearing people talk about their local scenes and stuff because so much of the time the emphasis is on London and, and what London mm -hmm. is doing and, and the, the London uh, events tend to get the most prestige. But I love uh, regional voices and I love hearing about those regional, regional communities that like have their own their own hubs and a variety of nights you know when you think about stuff outside of London I think the general assumption is that there's like maybe one or two per city you know a little bit quiet yeah. but that's that's obviously not the case for you and for Nottingham um, mm. I know um, that Bristol also has a, a big hub of, of different poetry and things like that so uh, yeah. you essentially have cut your teeth then on, on the Nottingham scene um mm. and you've now been doing things with the nottingham is it the literature festival or is the poetry i can't remember um <clears throat> so um i've done things in the past with the nottingham poetry festival they're really fab um uh, really great i've uh, this year we've been working um with the um inspire libraries to do some online digital work with them um there's also because um nottingham is uh, a UNESCO creative city so it's a world city of literature um, which is really exciting so there's always like 
poetry projects going on, um, creative writing projects happening. Um, there's Writing East Midlands, which is a really great um, arts council funded um, support um, organization for writers and readers. And they've got a real like um, specialization in poetry as well. There's, um, I read somewhere and I don't know where I read this, so I can't give you a source, but I read somewhere that there are at least a thousand poets, like working poets working in the city of Nottingham, which sounds like a huge amount when you think about how many people there are in the city so uh, yeah yeah it's it's a really um vibrant place in terms of creative writing and spoken word and poetry yeah it sounds really exciting actually i mm. might need to go there <laughs> get some more some more midlands poets i love the midlands for their poetry i think there's a lot of variety there um and mm. it is very diverse um and unapologetically so um yeah. and it really has its own um its own space I think I think a lot of places will tend to draw their experience and and draw their energy from from London especially if they're satellite towns around London but it seems like that part of the Midlands really has its own poetry identity um yeah I think so I think it I think a lot of it comes from this sort of rebel spirit of um never really being acknowledged um and you might find you might find the same thing um being in bristol i think but when you're not london or you're not the north um and obviously the north gets is doesn't get as much attention as london but anywhere else and particularly the midlands uh, often feels like it's it's being ignored or being left out of the conversation because it is very different to um the north and it is very different to the south and the southeast and um, so I think there's almost like a, a, a sort of energy that comes from that sort of a contrary energy of like, well, people aren't um, paying attention to us, so we're just going to do what we want. Um, and I think that that uh, means that you're right. There's this real diversity of voice and this sort of strength of character that comes out in the poetry. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, Bernie, I can definitely relate to that living within mm -hmm. the margins of things. Um, you know, when Benning I started out, it was sort of like, well, you can't put spoken word on the page. That's ridiculous. And, mm -hmm. and that's sort of like, well, you know, there's no one, there's no one that's um, publishing these people. There's no one that's, that's, that's looking into this, this side of poetry. So actually we can do whatever we want here. Um, mm -hmm. And then have really built up that, that same sort of like links to diversity and things like that through the people that we publish because there's that space where no one's really paying attention to us and and you know we don't have to answer to anybody in that yeah. respect which i think yeah is really that's nice. really cool i think and i think it's um yeah it's it's really important to go in to, to if you don't see what you want from a scene to think about whether you can make it happen yourself or yeah. encourage people to make it happen yourself and i think that that's um an attitude that sort of um stood me well in in my sort of poetry journey of just like if there isn't something that you want uh in the scene or um on uh in in projects then just sort of make it yourself kind of thing yeah i really love that about the whole poetry scene in, mm. in general which is that big diy attitude mm. towards it i think you know unlike the music scene which has a lot of um uh, set 
rigid guidelines about how you're supposed to go around doing things. Mm -hmm. Poetry is still, it's very much, it's unshackled um, in a lot of ways, especially, you know, the spoken word scene and the performance poetry and the slam scene, that's, that's still very underground. And, you know, I love that, that you can go into the, the scene and be like, okay, well, I don't see myself reflected, so I'm going to do something about that. And being able to just to just get on with it and do it, I think that's that's really amazing. And obviously, you've been doing really well at that. And I think your your collection "Get Over Yourself" reflects that DIY attitude um, to it, where you're, there's a lot of poems in there that are about women's experiences. And um, I'm thinking particularly of, of Fish Face. Mm -hmm. um, and these poems that that sort of critique the way in which women's beauty standards are are banded about and and uh, used to discredit women and things like that. And I really like the way in which you kind of turn that on its head in the poems. And mm -hmm. and I'm guessing that comes from from your own personal experience. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, well, I think. Um, more broadly, I think a lot of the poems in the collection are about um, belonging um, and yeah. isolation and that idea about um, being told what you can't be and being told what you need to be and those things perhaps um, never intersecting with what you feel you are. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things, and I don't know if you found this with the writing that you've done recently, Bridget, but um, you you often find that you 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 do a lot of writing, and you and you think that it's all on very disparate themes, and then when you come to look at it as a body of work, you realise that you're just you have been writing about the same thing from lots of different angles, and I get really. Um, preoccupied with certain themes over um over the course of sort of periods and I think from these poems are from the last five years and I think during that time I've been thinking a lot about my place in the world and um how that's developed over time and how I felt as a teenager versus how I feel now as a, a woman in her 30s so uh, yeah it's it's really about um yeah find, finding yourself but not in a sort of um, pretentious way more in a sort of overcoming self-doubt and and just being happy with the person that you are whatever that entails and whatever flaws that um, you encompass I think yeah that definitely resonates with me and I, and I, I get that from reading the, the collection and and reading it as this is a person that has um that has uh, accepted themselves and accepted where they are in the world um, in, in no matter what that looks like, contradictions, whatever. And I think, I think definitely in my 20s, I was so preoccupied with every little contradiction of my identity and how that didn't rub up with the other parts of my identity and, and somehow that was wrong. Um, and now I'm starting to like think about things differently and be like, actually, and sort of embracing all of those differences and and sort of like well and sort of saying well what's wrong with that and and that's what's so resonating about reading your collection is that it's I think it it's it comes from like you can see the journey towards as you get through the collection that it's um you're you're getting to a place or you found that place where you're you're happy mm, well we're all sort of moving towards it hopefully so I, I think that yeah I think you're right that it's it's become easier as I've got older to 
recognize the nuance and the Id idiosyncrasies in in myself and in the world i think as well and to not be necessarily so hung up on everything being either right or wrong sometimes things just are you know yeah yeah that that that's definitely something comforting and and very inclusive about the, the book i think it's um uh i found it very welcoming to read uh gentle hard in places but like in, in a good way and i think you're there's a lot of humor in there as well that that guides you along that path through the uncomfortableness of things and i also in my own writing use that kind of device of, of humor and dry wit to to talk about the the things that are difficult um and you're right about what you were saying about uh thinking that you're writing about lots of different things but actually they they all kind of overarc into these like these particular themes that you're looking at i just started working with a mentor for the first time um and i sent them my poems um and we had a meeting and they were like every single one of your poems you are writing about discomfort you are uncomfortable in all of your poems and i was like oh that's it i was like there's something i couldn't see it myself until someone else had read it and mm, said that's really interesting yeah and and i just you know did it was some of the the things that you've just said the, the conclusions that you've come to was did you come to those conclusions working with someone else and having that person then point those things out to you yes certainly having an editor um to say these poems are about these poems all have this theme in common um was really helpful um and i think also having the benefit of reading them together because you don't often when you when you write um a, lots of poems over the course of a long period of time you don't get the chance to sort of stand back um and look at them all as like more of a coherent body of work it's it's more like i need to write so many poems um so that i can then perform them kind of thing um so so yeah it's 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 about that shift in perspective and being able to to look at them as as something that comes from you um, and all your work obviously all comes from you but I think it's really interesting that um, and sort of slightly worrying really that um, you find people write, reading your writing and going oh this all talks about this theme and that being a, a an epiphany for you and a realization it's almost as if your poems are sort of telling your secrets before you really know them yourself um, and there's something really beautiful about that, but there's also something slightly sinister about it too, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I think I was like, oh, well, I'm not, I, I that wasn't purposeful. I didn't control mm. it in that way. Maybe I should have more control over it. But again, that's like negotiation between uh, the writer and the reader or, or mm. the, the performer and the, and the audience in terms of them uh, finding part not only parts of themselves but also parts of you in that that maybe you haven't really figured out yet and yeah it's that sort of lack of control of it and being like oh okay and you get people that that we published and, and continue to publish that write uh the very concept collections that are about a particular event or a particular theme and they go on and on and uh and then you get collections like this where you you've you've got a load of poems that you've been writing and, and performing over the years 
Um, and when you sit down to think, okay, I'm going to put this in a collection and you're almost like, okay, I, I can't, I, what's the themes here? You know, what, this feels almost like a Frankenstein's monster of like me. Um, and then, and then, yeah, it's, it's comforting though, to know that other people are like, they see the themes in there. And, and, and I think working with an editor really helps to validate that experience as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that it's also really interesting, um, and you'll know this when you perform um, your poems live and someone comes up to you afterwards and, and says to you, oh, I really like that poem that you do on, I don't know, for me, it was um, one of the poems in the collection. Um, and somebody came up to me afterwards and said, I really like that poem that you do on um, class. And I was like, I don't know that I do one. And, and then they explained to me which poem it was. And I reread it with that sort of um, lens and that, that head on. And I was like, oh, goodness, this is definitely about that. Um, and I think it's really valuable to have um, feedback like that, where people go, for me, this poem is about this. And whether or not that was your intention as the writer, you're right. It's, it's about that negotiation and it's about that um, interplay between uh, the interpretation that you have put into it and the um and what the the reader or the listener or the audience get out of it and i'm i'm really interested in that as like um a concept and a, and a place for um play and experimentation i think yeah i agree and i really like being able to be able to publish books for spoken word artists so that audience members can then take that home with them and and revisit it again and maybe see something like we were talking earlier about different different versions of it and and maybe discover new things in those poems as well um and we're we talked earlier about us doing all of this in lockdown at the moment and how weird that is i just want to talk about your your kind of experience over the last few months and obviously putting the book together is uh, you know we do that digitally by email anyway so that process hasn't changed but then obviously um uh, launches and things like that is sort of the 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 end result really is is being able to have a book launch and kind of have this party and be like look at this work that I've done look at the this poem and and sort of have that recognition and that validation from your loved ones and things like that um so I just wanted to to sort of ask like what have you been up to or like how have you uh how have you adapted um to to sort of um to to, to online events and, and the more digital side of things? How's that been for you? Yeah, um, it's, it's a really good question because it has been like a steep learning curve, certainly. Um, when um, I had the original um, date for the release of the book, um, I was really excited, got, got overexcited and, and talked to everybody that I knew that had um, uh, poetry nights. So I had a lot of dates booked in for live um, events and shows and performances across the country um, and then obviously when it got to the end of March all of them um, I think bar one were cancelled um, and that was um, I, I don't want to say that was that was you know difficult in the grand scheme of things because obviously there were a lot more you know important and more difficult things going on for other people but it was um, yeah it was it it made it I've, to start with, I felt like it might be really hard to 
get the book out there in the same way because you're right the um for me one of the really important parts of of getting the book made was to have something that i could um offer to people at gigs if they were interested in taking the work away um and with no gigs it felt like that was gone but Um, but luckily, I mean, um, there are so many like innovative uh, producers and promoters and, and people, again, just getting stuck in and, and trying new things and getting thing out, things out there. So I've done a lot of like virtual performances, which have been really lovely. Um, I've been doing a lot of recording podcasts, which is really lovely and something that I've never done before, which is fantastic so that's really cool and um yeah also like um finding creative ways to um get the book out in front of people on social media and i know that social media is sort of a bit of a you know a double-edged sword but there is something really wonderful about having a community of people who um are interested in what you do as a creative person and are um just sort of waiting for you to tell them what you're up to so uh, in that respect um it's been a really nice um like challenge to overcome in terms of in terms of getting the book out there and getting it getting it into people's hands and in, uh, on onto people's coffee tables i guess yeah yeah it's um it's definitely been a, a very adapting time for a lot of people mm-hmm. and i think it's it's weird you know i talk to my friends now when we we talk about zoom like it's a club that we go to <laughs> <laughs> you know like oh this happened on zoom last night and and it's so it's so weird how suddenly uh how quickly it was that we actually all adapted to this like new online life and mm-hmm. i think poetry is very lucky in the sense that it's something that can be transferred onto doing digital events yeah. which i think a lot of musicians especially musicians that are in you know bands um electronic bands and things like that that find that that have found that transition to be a lot harder to do, you know, especially if they're in a band and they're all in different houses and things like that. Whereas poets where it's just us and um, it's a lot easier for us to adapt to that kind of thing. And I've been really, there's been some really good events going on and some, some really nice um, uh, reconnection of like communities as well. I think, you know, we've got Laurie Eves who's doing a online gig uh for for a for a night in new zealand and he doesn't even need to leave his house you know <laughs> like yeah um, yeah that's beautiful i've been um i've been to an open mic in belfast a couple of weeks ago as well which i obviously amazing. would never be able to do otherwise so yeah there's something really nice about um connection across borders and timelines and yeah yeah so you've also done your own audio version of the book as well what was that like doing that as an experience what like, can I just ask you know how did you what software did you use and how did you go about doing that oh such a good question um so I'm really not very technically adept so um, <laughs> I literally just um sat in my living room with my phone and just recorded it straight through reading the book cover to cover um, and uh, it was on the request of a friend of mine who is uh, partially sighted, who really wanted to um, get a chance to experience the book, but wasn't able to um, obviously fully appreciate a physical copy. So, um, yeah, uh, he was really helpful in telling me the kinds of things to include, like obviously the first um 
version that I recorded, um, I just said the title and he said, oh, well, it'd be really nice if you could describe the cover illustration. And I didn't, I, I, I had no um, thought that that would be something that somebody would need or want. So it's, that had been a really interesting um, experience in terms of learning how to make my work more accessible, um, I think. So, so yeah, so I just used um, my phone and uh, literally a couple of takes, um, stitching things together using a little um, pro program on the web um, that just stitches pieces of audio together and then just popping it on the website. So really low tech again, um, uh, really like DIY again. Um, because that's that's just the way that I roll. I'm I'm very impatient as a person, so I'd much rather like just get something done in like a, like a cool sort of rough way rather than necessarily <laughs> whistles and you know bangs on it. Yeah, no, I am 100% the same. Have a uh, have a do another podcast other than this one with my friend Cathy called Chips and Beans, and um, we literally just record it on our phones. Um, yeah. And then I and then I edit it much like I do with this one, except we obviously I've figured out that you can record audio on Zoom, so which has magically saved my life. So that's really good. Um, but I'm I'm also the same. I'm very independent, and I don't like waiting around to hear if I've got some funding to do this or blah blah blah. You know, I'd rather just get on with it and do it myself and have all the autonomy um, to do that. Um, and I like poets that we publish that that have that sort of in initiative as well that will kind of just do things off of their own back and and uh from my experience of using a, f a phone to do that kind of recording there's nothing wrong with it at all it works perfectly fine i think there's especially in lockdown there's been this like general like narrative that you need to have all of this audio equipment and all of this and that and and what have you to to be able to produce good audio um and i think you know if i was talking to a sound engineer then maybe they'd be a bit like mm, yeah maybe not a phone but I think for what you're doing it for, if it works, then it works. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, yeah, you're right. I think it depends on what you're doing. But um, from my experience, um, what people really want is to hear the words. And it doesn't hugely matter too much um, if it's as long as it's as long as it's clear and audible, I think then um, it's all good. Um, speaking of which, I am I'm currently speaking to you from under um, a blanket because my room is super echoey and <laughs> I don't have access to a little microphone. So I am in like a lovely little tent fortress uh, doing this podcast. Well, it sounds great, actually. It sounds really good. Yeah, well done. I like it. <laughs> amazing, yeah, see, it's amazing innovative things that we come up with in our house these days yeah. to try and do it you've got a little little audio den there I like that that's really good <laughs> so um you, you talked uh, briefly about like doing a launch um and things like that what other um what's your what's been your some of your favorite online events or, or podcasts that you've been doing so far Oh, yeah. So um, I did um, find the right words, um, which is the Leicester based. Um, it's usually an open mic night um, that happens in Leicester. But um, since lockdown, uh, the host, Jess Green, has um, transferred it into becoming um, like a pre-recorded podcast. 
Um, and that was really lovely to do, really, really fun, because um, the way that Jess um, sort of formats the podcast is as if it were um, still a live event. So there's um, like she will do the hosting and then there will be some open mic people. And then they have a speed poet who has, I think, 24 hours to write a poem based on um uh themes that are suggested by the audience um and then um a couple of headliners as well so it felt as close to being in a room with lots of lovely people as you possibly could be um which was really really cool uh yeah and um I'm I'm really enjoying being part of this podcast as well. I think podcasts. Are, I'm I'm a little bit obsessed with podcasts at the moment, and particularly because in my day job, um, I'm currently the only one in my office. So, uh, in in uh, because there is no conversation with uh, with members of staff because nobody's there. Um, I am churning through podcasts at the moment um, at at a rate which should be criminal so uh, <laughs> if anybody has any brilliant um recommendations for things please do let me know because uh, i'm getting to that stage now where like i have a trawl through my um podcast app every morning just to go has anybody uploaded anything new you know <laughs> yeah i am also a bit the same like that i work at um on my own in my flat um mm. and uh, i often have missed that inter-office chit chat not not even me talking to people but just the noise of of people around you and it makes you feel less alone and can't imagine what it's like to go into a to an office and be the only person there um have you been doing that all through lockdown no so that's something that's sort of started up again in the last maybe three weeks or so so um, you get this sort of uh, like really weird euphoria for the first couple of days of going, I can do whatever I want. I can uh, go to the loo and leave the door open. I can do this. I can do that. I can put the um, heating on to exactly what I want. Um, and that gets old really quickly. And then you're just sort of talking to yourself in a big cavernous office and uh, yeah, trying, trying to find excuses to uh, make zoom calls to your colleagues who are all across the country so yeah pluses and minuses I think definitely yeah I think so for sure I used to work in an office on my own on a Saturday and, and the you know having having um my friend worked there as well but we would have like chair races and and mm -hmm. you know use all the milk in the fridge and you know that kind of thing um yeah. but yeah I can imagine that it, it is um, gets old very quickly but I guess um, having that routine back must be quite nice in terms of being able to like get up in the morning go out do the thing and have that separation yeah definitely um, because uh, yeah I, I sort of struggled towards the end of the lockdown process because um, we live in a one-bedroom house um, and I was sort of working all day on the sofa uh, in the living room and then having my tea and then sitting on the sofa for the rest of the evening and it just felt like there was no separation there was no um yeah there was no division between work Leanne and home Leanne and I found that really difficult to um sort of get my head around I think yeah I'm really struggling with that I think mm. I live in a garage so I just have one one room um, and I've, I've divided up the space so I've got like a sort of living room and then my my desk and then my bed and stuff but again I find it very difficult to separate work Bridget with home Bridget and um, 
it's it's been um it's been interesting i think i might have to just buy a tv because I'm, yes. I'm doing everything on my laptop so i'm like doing all my work on my laptop and then i'm also watching things in the evening off my laptop as well and mm-hmm. and i'm really bad at forgetting to turn my emails off so i'll be halfway through an episode of vikings and then i'll get an email from someone and i'll be like oh I'll just i'll just check the email it'll be fine and and before i know it i'm like sucked in again um and uh yeah i think it's the same for a lot of people um especially if you're in in smaller spaces and stuff so um it's good to hear that you're you're having a, that separation again and that's that's um being better for you in terms of you know having a having a having that separation and your home being your home again <laughs> yeah definitely so leanne i'm going to ask you if you wanted to um maybe read us a poem from the from the collection Sure, um, I'll do that. Um, I'm going to read this piece, which is called A Piece of the Pie. Okay. Look, everyone gets a piece of the pie, but some get more than others. It's only fair. They were here first. Or if they weren't here first, then they paid more. Or if they didn't pay more, then they certainly looked like they could afford more, which is why they got more at no extra cost. I wouldn't expect you to understand, it's complicated. Some people have asked for more but didn't get it, while other people could do with less but won't be persuaded to share. Some people have been coming here for years and think we owe them something. Some people can't read the menu, so those people get crumbs. Some people don't realise that some people have already eaten. Some people have already eaten but still feel the gnawing hunger. Some people haven't eaten for days. Everyone gets a piece of the pie. But some people are never satisfied. Some people have been stealing food. Someone is always stealing something. Some slices look bigger than others because some slices are bigger than others. Everyone gets a piece of the pie except those who get nothing. And we don't mention those who get nothing in case they take a piece of our pie. Sure, some people get more than others, but some people have more luck than others. Some people get more pie than others, and some people get crumbs. It's a good thing it's only pie, isn't it? It's a good thing it's not our lives, isn't it? It's a good thing it's not our world, isn't it? It's a good thing. It's only pie. I like to clap because I feel that a lot of people are missing the clapping from doing their <laughs> online performances and things like that. <laughs> um, so, uh, and that poem is also um, featured on your uh, launch video, mm, yes. um, which we're going to put up on our IGTV um, on Friday um and we've had like a so you and molly naylor have both opted to do uh, launch videos instead of doing an an instagram launch mm-hmm. um and i chatted to molly about that and and the reasons behind that but just sort of you know why why did you choose rather to do a video rather than a live launch well it was um just simply sort of mental health reasons really i um the at the point at which you asked me um i was having a really bad week and i just perhaps didn't feel like i could face doing something um live and just just feeling very like um 
not in the right headspace to do something like that um, so I thought that a pre-recorded thing would be ideal because it gives you um, the time and the space and um, the um, permission to, to sort of make your mistakes and, and, and sort of tidy them out um, so yeah it was um, it was about sort of um, making sure I'm, I'm really trying as a as a human and as a creative to um, like sort of learn and understand and start to finally as a as a 33 year old adult start to respect my own boundaries um, and this is kind of one of those things of thinking actually um, it's not for me on this occasion um, but I can still do something different and still get the word out um, by doing something pre-recorded yeah I think that's great I think especially at this kind of time when I you know, everyone's sort of thirsty for the whatever gigs they can get and actually saying, actually, these are my boundaries and, and this is going to be better for me. I think that's really good um, to, to do. And uh, we're, I'm really excited about um, the launch video because it's the first one that Burning Eye figured out how to do subtitles for. Um, so we'll be able to um, facilitate more, more of those um, videos with subtitles that will be more accessible. Which I'm really excited about um, and yeah just really excited um, for more and more people to be reading your book um, have you got any um, have you got any more um, online gigs or podcast features coming up yeah so I'm doing the um, DIY poets um, quarterly showcase on Thursday the 13th of August um, and then I'm doing Fen Speak, which is a lovely night based in Ely. I'm doing that on the 26th of August. Um, and then I have got uh, Speaking Weird, which is Aberdeen based. And that is in September. I want to say Wednesday, the 9th of September. Um, and all of those are obviously via Zoom and online and digital and social distanced. Great. So you've got, you've got lots to look forward to then yeah great i'm really glad that it's been working out for you and um you've been getting some gigs and um obviously thrilled about the book the book's amazing and lovely for those of you listening um you can buy the book um direct from the burning eye web store or you can get it direct from leanne and possibly even get it signed so yeah. um and we we would uh, encourage you to to go direct and get it from leanne um so that leanne gets most of the profit from that um, and also you can now get the audio version of the book as well which is really cool and exciting um, and I, I hope more poets listening to this podcast will be like oh actually I can just pick up my phone and, and maybe do an audio recording and that would be that would be really cool mm. yeah well Leanne it's been so nice to talk to you today um, thank you so much for taking some time out and in your blanket fort <laughs> thank you for having me um, we're going to be uh, releasing this podcast um, uh, as soon as I edit it, really, which um, should be t t tomorrow or, or at some point. I've got like lots of other jobs as well that I'm doing, so I'm trying to manage everything. And that's, mm -hmm. that's something that I'm doing at the moment is trying to manage my time well between all of mm -hmm. these projects that I've either still running from outside of lockdown or have just spontaneously started in lockdown. Um, uh, so uh, you can download the podcast from from anywhere um, that does the podcasting, um, which is really exciting. Um, and do make sure that you check out um, Leanne's website and what Leanne is doing in the future. 
Um, thanks so much, Leanne, for, for doing this and also for submitting to us in the first place. I'm, I'm really, really glad. Um, I've always really enjoyed and admired your work. So it's been, it's been a pleasure to, to do this book for you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Bye.